Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go, let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders, how is everybody doing out there in the land of crowdfunding? This mystical, magical place where money rains from the clouds and everybody's dreams come true. What a glorious, glorious place. Well, it is me. I am your host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel. And why do I do this podcast? So that's a great question I just ask myself. Well, it's because I try to give as much information to project creators as possible so that they can be successful in launching uh, in today's market, in today's world, um, in today's noise, all that sort of stuff. So what we do is we talk to project creators while they're in the middle of a campaign so that we can get the most up-to-date information on what they're doing to become successful. So with all that said, it has been a little while. We took a little bit of time off, kind of regrouping a little bit here. It's been the summer. I've got my kids home, so it's been challenging to, uh, you know, to sit down and find a good hour of silent time to record good episodes. Uh, but last week, I had a chance to uh, to talk to Sebastian Walter uh, from his successful campaign and. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about water guns, and not just any water guns. We're going to be talking about the Spraya 1, um, or Spyro 1. Sorry about that. I mispronounced it. Spyro 1. Uh, we're going to be talking about this awesome, awesome next-generation water gun. Um, and, I mean, in our interview, we talk a lot about how you know water guns really haven't changed much and, um, and how Sebastian saw a need for um, a, adult version of water guns. And this is a great conversation because... Um, we just get so into the depths of actually how intense it is to make a water gun. You would never think it. I've never thought about that, but there is a whole bunch of science behind it. Um, and, uh, we, we break that down and we talk about what some of the things he's done to, to uh, end up raising almost $400,000. So, uh, this is a very, very successful campaign. So it was, and it was a great conversation. If you want to watch the video portion of the conversation, you can go over to Facebook live, uh, and watch it there as well. Um, uh, I record it video as well as audio. So maybe you want to look at me, maybe you want to see what a podcast episode looks like, um, you can go over there and watch it as well. So what's been going on? <clears throat> well, like I said, I've taken a couple of weeks off, maybe even a month off. I don't even know the last time I did an episode. It's been a little while. But that's just, like I said, my kids have been home. It's been challenging to, to kind of focus. And also, we want to kind of refocus the podcast a little bit. Um, we've done 150-some-odd episodes. I think I don't even know what the number is right now. It's a ton of episodes. And I want to kind of streamline a little bit. We want to focus a little bit more around um, the content and the conversations and maybe dive a little bit deeper into it. Um, so that's what we've been doing here. So we've been kind of refocusing. We've got this conversation coming up here with Sebastian, but then also later in the week, I'm going to have another episode, which I'm excited about because I'll, I'll be talking to another project creator um, who did a great job on a backpack. So that's going to be coming up as well. But, you know, here we've been doing a little bit of vacationing. We went to St. Joseph's a couple of weeks ago, which was nice. St. Joseph's, Michigan, I should say. Spent some time on Lake Michigan. Uh, next week, we're going to be going up north. Uh, we're going to go to the Alpena side. So if you're familiar with Michigan, that's where we're going to be going. We're going to be going up there and, again, kind of being on the water, hanging out, just uh, getting away. We're actually going to be doing a lot of fossil hunting on that side. My son loves fossils. So we're going to dive in and, uh, you know, try to find some rocks. <laughs> I don't know if that's a very fun vacation, but you know it'll be all right. We'll we'll have a good time. Um, but a lot of other stuff going on here. We're uh, 
we've 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 been working on some good projects. We're gonna be launching a new campaign actually tomorrow, which I'm excited about. It's a gym bag called Sidekick, so you're more than welcome to go check that campaign out over on Kickstarter. That'll be launching. But just you know, we're, we've been really kind of in this season of, and I think this happens almost every year, right? Like we're getting close to September. Um, my kids are gonna go back to school here soon. My daughter's gonna be starting school. My house is gonna be a little empty during the week, which has not happened in uh, five years, right? Five, six, yes, yeah, almost six years, right? Um, so there's going to be this, this sense of like, all right, it's time to like scale and grow our business, right? That's kind of what we've been thinking about here. And, you know, that means sometimes you have to shed some people. Sometimes you've got to reshift, you've got to refocus. And that's what this whole energy is right now. And that's why I love when you start getting into like that fall or late summer, um, you just start feeling this new energy and that's what's happening a lot around here. And I wonder if other businesses feel like this. I, I know we do like, it just feels like it's such a great opportunity to move, you know, into new ideas and new mission statements if you have them or new focuses or even like, you know, maybe starting something new in terms of a business. Um, we, we've been talking about that a lot here, right? We're going to be getting into a lot more of the giveaways. Um, a lot of people don't know, but inside of Woodshed, we run tons and tons of giveaways. We, we use um, uh, some tools to help that and we try to make viral content go and you know, so we, we're thinking about focusing a little bit more on that um, and actually having my wife, Erin, maybe head that project uh, a little bit more so that I can continue to focus on Woodshed. Um, and then we've been working on, we've got, you know, uh, some new products uh, or documentaries that we're thinking about actually doing the production on, actually um, working from start to finish. So those are big, big ideas too, because that takes a ton of effort and you can only do so many of those. Um, you can't, it's not like you're, we're running a whole bunch of, of different projects at the same time. So, so a lot going on. It's just such an exciting, exciting time right now. You can feel that energy. We're going to try to get, like I said, get one more vacation in here and then maybe do a little, uh, maybe a little, uh, just air, just the wife and I vacation. We're going to try to get away for a day on that too. But, um, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of great energy. Um, it just feels like that. Uh, we've got other stuff too. It, you know, I need you guys to do some favors for me. If you like the podcast, make sure you go over to iTunes right now become a subscriber, leave a review, tell us what you think about what you're hearing here. Um, and also go back to campaigns, right? That's the huge thing. Go become a backer, be a supporter, maybe just be a gawker backer back for a dollar just so you can see what's going on behind the scenes. I think that's also, um, uh, very important. So those are some things that you can do for us. Um, those are huge, helpful things that keep this podcast going. Tell a friend, tell a family member, but, um, all right. I only got just a little bit more time here, but I'm going to go ahead and kick my conversation over to Sebastian, and let's talk about water guns. Let's go. Here we go, guys. All right, we are on. The red light's there, blinking, so we are recording. So why don't we do a quick sound check? Uh, why don't you tell my listeners what you had for breakfast this morning? Well, I had cereals, like every morning, uh, with milk, and then I had a chocolate bar. Nice. That what was, kind of cereal? Did you go healthy cereal or you go yeah, fruity I pebbles? Yeah, I, I, I started to look on the content, you know, of the package and try to be more healthy than, than usual, but it doesn't always work, you know, because <laughs> I mix them. And then sometimes, you know, the unhealthy stuff goes on top and it's a lot sure. more than, than, you know, you know the sure. story. Well, did it have marshmallows in it? I think that's the marshmallows. Yeah, are, like, I think it's, it's an American thing. You know, marshmallows is big here. It's not, it's not a thing. <laughs> well, I think marshmallows in general are, are kind of odd. I'm not a huge marshmallow fan, but, but my you, kids... You do that, I think you do that uh, on the camp, uh, campfire side. Yeah, that's you right, do, s'mores. 
there's something I never understood, you know, yeah. basically that's, it's, yeah. it smells gross and it tastes, but anyway, you do that. All yeah, the and they're messy. I'm, I'm not a big s'mores guy either. Whenever we have, we'll have s'mores parties because our kids love them, but really they're not very good. I mean, it's, it's a mess <laughs> exactly. and, exactly. And, the, and, and you burn the marshmallow. So you're eating like char marshmallow. I don't want to eat that. I don't want that. I, I'll just eat the <laughs> chocolate. I'm good with that. So, right. Well, cool. I think we're sounding good here. So why don't we jump right into it? So why don't you tell my listeners what you're currently raising money for over on Kickstarter? Yeah, right. So we have a Kickstarter campaign um, and we're building a high-tech water gun. Uh, That's right. High-tech water gun. Not for, not for police or anything. It's, it's just entertainment. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, in the 90s, we have seen uh, great water guns, the Super Soaker brand. Yeah. It was big when I was a kid. I, yeah. I had, I, I don't know how many. And uh, we haven't seen good water guns since then. And what we do, we build a high-tech water gun that is well, basically the best water gun in the world. All right, so, right. Well, it looks sweet in the video. I mean, it looks like, man, you can really do some uh, some pretty sweet stuff with it. It definitely kicks all the water guns I have at my house here for my little, like, kids' water park area. With We have all these, like, cheap dollar ones that are just, like, you know, they break. And they're, they're, this is, like, this is the real deal here. So why are you working on uh, new water guns? I mean, it's just you just saw a need in the marketplace? Or is it something that you've just, like, you love making this type of stuff? <laughs> well, as I said, when I was a kid, I, I loved water guns. And, you know, as you grow older... Um, you know, you go to work and stuff, you have other things on your mind. But um, I remember that, that I had these great water guns when I was a kid. And then, you know, we, we had a, a couple of friends of mine, we had a rubber boat tour. So you take a rubber boat and you yeah. float on the river, you know, have a couple of beers. And I wanted to buy a good water gun. Uh, like, you know, I, I remember that there were good water guns in the 90s. So why not buy one now on Amazon or whatever? Right. And I couldn't get one. It was impossible. Yeah. You, could, you can't go, uh, go and buy good water guns anymore. And I was like, oh, that's strange. You know, <laughs> usually it doesn't go that way. You know, usually <laughs> stuff gets better, you know. Right, right. And uh, in that case, it didn't. So we started to think, well, maybe we should go and build a good water gun of our own. Right. Well, where does that process start then? I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of people have that like, oh, yeah, we should do this. Uh, but you obviously took it to the next step. So what kind of started the process to, you know, developing a water gun? And, and what were you trying to get out of it? Like, like what, what was the conversations around that of like, I want my water gun to do this and this and this? Well, you know? well I'd say that in the movies, they always portrayed as, you know, as a kind of stroke of genius. You're like, okay, this is a good product for, you know, there's a market for it and anything. But I think most ideas start really slow. You know, you're like, yeah. oh, I should build a water gun. And then you're thinking about it and then you do something else and then you come back to it after two weeks. And then you, you know, you buy a water gun, you disassemble it, you look at it. And this is basically how, how it started for us, you know. So I, I asked a friend, he's an engineer, and I was like, I'm a designer, so you know, maybe we can do something together. And he was right. like, yeah, well, why not? You know, I don't have a lot of time, but, you know, I can help you out. And um, basically that was how it got started. But then, of course, part-time, you know, on the weekends. And then, you know, as it got more serious and as we delivered results, obviously, you know, more people came in and we were like, okay, we really want to do this. This is, you know, a product that we want to sell. And obviously there's a huge step between I built something, a prototype stage for myself, and this is going to be produced mass market. So that was, that was huge. And we started to realize that pretty quickly. So, you know, what were some of the things that I guess just that you, you know, it sounds like, so you're a designer. So do you have, I mean, do you do this? Have you designed other things? What, what type of designs do you do that, that you thought you could actually design this and, and make it? 
But, well, obviously, I think ignorance is bliss because I was at the beginning, I wasn't qualified to build a water gun. And uh, I, sometimes I think I'm not still now. Um, you know, I was, a, I was in the car industry, in the automotive industry, and I was designing car parts, you know, for the interior. And that is, is cool and that's a good job, but um, it has nothing to do with a water gun. It's right. not the toy industry. It works completely different. They, you try to, you know, reach different prices. You have different criteria on, on what to build and how safe it must be and all these things. And uh, so I came from a background that was slightly similar to or related to what I do now. Mm-hmm. But of course, there's so much that you learn. And um, if you don't come from the toy industry, you notice pretty quickly that there's so much stuff that you need to adhere that you need to understand there's so many rules and regulations like in any industry so um that was something that a big learning for us well what's one example of that i mean i've I've interviewed a couple of toy people and uh most of my knowledge comes from that netflix uh show that was on the uh the toys that made us i love that yeah yeah, i saw that That was that was fabulous so like most of my toy knowledge comes from that but like (laughs) maybe what what are some of the things that maybe were, were roadblocks or just hindrance or 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 you're just like, oh, I had no idea. What, is there any examples of it you could, you could give us? Uh, yeah, yeah, plenty. I mean, where to start? Um, so when you when you sell a toy, um, even if it's not for kids, um, you must assume that kids will pick it up. So that's something that was a big learning. So I cannot say, okay, this is a toy for 20-year-olds or, you know, 18-year-olds. You can always, um, you must assume that a younger kid will pick it up because it's a toy. Sure. And um, so the rules say that, for instance, when you have a toy for a kid, that uh, shoots something, you know, like a Nerf gun or projectile, something like that. Uh, well, it has to be within certain limits, you know, not to be able to damage, uh, well, eyes mostly, but also, you know, skin, make no bruises. Right, right. So that was something that, that was completely new to us because we suddenly had to understand what, uh, I don't know, nine-year-old would potentially do with that gun, you know? <laughs> Even though it was never intended for a nine-year-old. Right, so right. Learning for us. So, it, so in your mind... You really were making, I guess from the start, did you always envision making a water gun that was for an older crowd, you know, 20 plus or whatever it might be, college type students? Or did you envision that, hey, kids would use this, this would be, I don't know, my seven-year-old would pick it up or whatever? Like, what what did you guys envision at first? I mean, I I wouldn't mind, especially in the beginning, I wouldn't mind if in the end kids would pick it up. But I think especially we as a group, as a, you know, circle of friends, we, we wanted to build something that we would use our, ourselves. Right. And, uh, you know, being between 20 and 30, that was something that we uh, targeted at. And we said, yeah, this is, this is a water gun for, for grown-ups. Right. That's cool. What was, um, you know, outside of maybe just learning the, the toy industry and to- some of the, the stuff you're just talking about, was there any sort of major roadblock that you, that you ran into in terms of, I don't know, you just couldn't make something you wanted to make? Was there anything that like, you, you guys had to, had to do a big pivot on? Um, yeah, I would say that uh, we completely underestimated the science in a water gun. Uh, it doesn't sound like much. You know, you say like, uh, you know, how hard can it be? Let's just, you know, there's water that goes in there and goes out there and you need to build up pressure or whatever. Uh, but it's, it's actually, it's rocket science. You know, there's like, um, you tap into all these these different parts and fields that, that you, you didn't know exist, you know? Like, uh, I don't know, nozzle technology, yeah? There's a huge field. It's, it's like <laughs> science that is research being done right now as we speak on nozzle technology. <laughs> 
this is all true. I would have thought that either. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would have thought, I don't know, you know, people know how to build a good nozzle, you know, it's like right. simple geometry, but it is not, you know, and, and yeah. you know, nozzles that are built today are a lot better than five years ago and 10 years ago. It's like uh, a continuous um, research being done and, and you need to understand that, you know, because if you say, I build the best water gun in the world, it's better than anything else, well, you, you better understand your nozzles, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> sure, yeah. Something like that. Well, and, um, yeah, there's different fields, you know, that you need to tap into and you need to understand and you need to ask people. And those people may not want to have anything to do with your stuff, you know. They, they are like, I don't know, let's say uh, fluid dynamics, you know, nozzles. Okay. Um, that, these are smart people. They have studied and they, you know, envision that they work on, I don't know, rockets or, you know, <laughs> right, right, they, right. they are really smart. And when you come to them, you say, okay, look, um, I need someone really smart to work on that nozzle for my water gun. They might be like, uh, well, no, let's not do that. That's really problematic. Wow, interesting. Yeah, and so I'm assuming that that probably falls in line with the, how it, the trigger works, the the aerodynamics of it, just the, how you hold the water. It's probably like every single compartment to some degree, right? Yeah, totally. Wow. Wow. Well, on the flip side of that, was there a moment though where you maybe got the prototype and you were like, "Wow, this is this is exactly what we wanted." Was there a, was there a, a, a flip side where it was like, "This is awesome," you know? We've got four or five of these, and we went out to a lake and had a, had a good time. Anything like well, that? Yeah, I mean, um, once we got the first prototype ready and it worked roughly the way we wanted, um, it was the first time that we could really try this out. I mean, um, the the single feature that we that we always advertised was, okay, uh, you'll be able to shoot water bullets. So these are really compact and they stay together and they fly really fast and really far and you can hit someone from the distance and it's a lot cooler than the constant stream and stuff. Right. And we thought it was, we were pretty sure it was a good idea, but we didn't know. I mean, we couldn't know that this was really cool. You know, maybe right. it was lame, we wouldn't be able to say. And the first time we tested it, uh, we realized, okay, this is cool. This this is going to be fun. And if we are having fun, other people might too. And right. That was that was huge for us. That's awesome. So I mean, you're you know, so you're running a very very popular campaign right now on Kickstarter. Are you still working at the other job, or is this what you're doing full time? No, we we all do this full time now. Um, nice. <laughs> nice. We realized. I mean, this is this is also big learning that um, part time you can do only so much. Uh, sure. It's not. I mean, if you want to have a product that is mass produced that a lot of people will enjoy. It's not, you cannot do that on your, you know, on your weekend. Right. right. On the weekend, on the side gig, the side hustle, you know, <laughs> totally, change, yeah. changing the water gun world on the side hustle. No, I mean, maybe, maybe you can, maybe, you know, I'm not smart enough. I mean, I, I you know, these books like, you know, four hour startup weeks yeah, or whatever. I I, I'm not sure, but I'm not convinced. I think that, that, you know, at some point we said, okay, um, you know, everyone who's currently working on this, do you want to do this full time? Because we really need all of you to, you know, remain here in the office all the time. Sure. And, and everyone said, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's quit the jobs. And <laughs> that's cool. cool. So, uh, where'd you grow up? Like where, where, uh, where'd you, where did you, where'd you grow up living and stuff like that? I know like, we all grew up, I think in Germany, uh, most of us, I, I grew up in uh, Cologne, um, okay. very west of Germany. And, um, yeah, that was, you know, most of us, I mean, we have one guy from France, uh, one from the Netherlands, but we are mostly a German team. Of most, most of and like, what, like, what did your parents do when you were growing up? Uh, they're lawyers. Um, okay. They were not amused when they when they heard that uh, we build a water gun now. <laughs> I mean, we had good jobs, and you know, they were like, "Yeah, let's let's just keep that." Um, yeah, but yeah, they now they're pretty good with it. Uh, it's it's also yeah. 
I was gonna say, so like, where do you think this entrepreneur spirit came into? I mean, in terms of like trying to like, you know, to pivot from a, a stable career and a job like that over to making water guns, like, would you think that was something that, you know, uh, you, I don't know, do you have a grandparent or just some, some, something in the blood to tell you to, to jump and try this? But, you know, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure. I'm, you know, when I think, I, I don't see that in my background, it would be, you know, it would be totally sensible for me to, you know, want to be an entrepreneur. I believe that uh, mostly it's, being stubborn and you know, to some to some degree being like okay I don't you know I, I want this different or you know I, maybe I can do this and then maybe it's a certain it's hard to say you know maybe I think to some degree it's a bit of ignorance you know because you don't know what what awaits you in the beginning and then it's stubbornness you know you, you right. just keep going I believe that's when I look at my team and myself that's probably what we all share I would say. That's interesting. Well, you know, so I think this is an interesting thing because there's a lot of people, I think, in your position where they're trying to either use Kickstarter or move into this next phase yeah. from another career. Was there any metrics, though, that you were looking at? Like, hey, listen, I, I'm, you know, we feel really confident that we'll do XYZ sales, or did you get some investment money? Like, what, what, what were some of the metrics for you to actually make this jump and, and feel some security in it? Right. If you have any security in it, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you don't, but it seems like you're doing all right right now with a Kickstarter. No, yeah, yeah. I think, I think I can probably give some advice. Um, for us, Kickstarter was the most important thing because um, this is a proof of market, obviously. And it's the first time that, that you can say, okay, look, um, these are the numbers and, you know, Kickstarter is only this percentage of the market. And if we tap into that, it shows that there's a real demand for what we do. Um, so everything that we did, we have been working on this, like, much longer than I would like to admit, uh, for about two years, I would say, you know, maybe one and a half. Um, everything we did was uh, targeting towards Kickstarter because we knew that Kickstarter is our platform. You know, if this product doesn't do well on Kickstarter, what does? Because it's like, you know, mostly tech geeks, mostly people who look for something fresh. Um, it's that the audience is more male than female, which obviously is good for Watergun. Yeah. Um, so we thought, okay, this is, this is our platform. And um, if it doesn't work there, we can basically go back to our jobs. And everything we did in the one and a half years was specifically targeted at being good or uh, serving the purpose of, of Kickstarter, a successful Kickstarter campaign. So um, we were collecting, obviously, like the usual stuff, like collecting email addresses, um, you know, trying to build a crowd on Facebook, uh, mm -hmm. all these things. But I would say that the most important thing is, you know, um, understanding the value of Kickstarter is is it good for my product? I, I've seen, we are in, in an, uh, you know, there's different startups here in this building. It's an incubator, sort of, and it doesn't work for every product. It's not yep. sensible to run a Kickstarter campaign no matter what. And um, if you have a product that, that feels right, that is a good thing for Kickstarter, that will work on Kickstarter, is, is the best tool you have. Uh, besides the money, it also gives you great data on, on your demographics and everything. It's, it's Huge yeah, we, we we talk about that all the time. It's it's one of the hardest messages that we've gotten around to our clients of like, they're so caught up into the money, and I'm like, listen, the money money's fine. You know, it's a, definitely a part of the equation, but the data that you get, the how people respond, the comments, the you know, you might get a comment that shapes your next three products, like okay. that you didn't even think about. I was like, so that's the stuff that. I can't put in a proposal. I can't promise you, but like, I see it all the time. So I'm like, just trust, you know? So, yeah. it, it, you, know, you know, the money's a great part, but, but you mentioned, so you're part of an, so you are part of an incubator program right now. Is that right. true? And it's, so it, what's, um, how is like the, um, the startup culture like where you are right now? Is it booming? Is it something that you have a ton of resources or are you 
you know, still kind of uh, out there on your own doing it, most of it? Or like, what, what's it like where you are right now? Well, so first of all, we are in Germany and that's very traditional. So we are not uh, a startup culture. We are not, uh, you know, at the forefront of, you know, uh, new model startup technology. And yeah. um, basically what we have, we have a room and we have an office. And um, I think what we try to do here in Germany is we attach um, startup incubators to universities. We say there's a lot of research being done. So um, universities start to build these incubators where, you know, young teams can can come and, you know, crash for a few months yeah. and that's basically how it works and i think that's that's a great program because it, it helps you in the beginning you don't want to hire uh people you don't want to uh rent an office it's too too expensive in the beginning mm. you just have you and a couple of friends can start working and i think in this bubble within you know within the incubator building that's uh we have a great culture obviously uh, like-minded people who are working on something also there's you know some transfer of knowledge obviously uh some hardware startups can you know teach us a thing or two and vice versa but I would say that, and that's probably all of Europe, um, generally there's not a great startup culture in Europe right now. It's developing. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, we have more TV shows like in the US and we have more like it's, it's become a bit of a, you know, startup entrepreneurs become like small scale rock stars at the beginning right. at the moment. <laughs> but um, it's slowly developing. And, and um, I think we are still far behind compared to the US, for instance. Yeah. So, well, so, I mean, like you mentioned, and this is what I've seen and heard from most of these interviews uh, from anybody, uh, you know, not in the United States, basically, is that it is tied so much into universities, which I don't think we do actually a very good job here. Universities, we kind of just be like, all right, good luck. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. um, and then then you have these sort of bubbles that pop up and, and so on and so forth. So I always find it intriguing um, just as a bigger conversation of, of what the United States actually needs to do to actually I, I think the universities are not being utilized enough or the universities are keeping huge percentages of the ideas. Like, like, you know, right. they're, they're owning 80% of it. And it's like, well, wow. <laughs> you know, there's no profit margins all of a sudden. So that's probably a whole nother conversation, but well, let, let's flip over to the actual Kickstarter. Let's talk about some of the data points uh, on this campaign right now. So, so as we're talking, you still have about 27 days to go, which is uh, still a long time. Um, right. And you had a, I'm looking at in US dollars, so I'm, I don't know if, if you are as well, but we had, it's about $60,000 goal and you're currently sitting at $336,000. So, uh, and right. a ton of backers, almost uh, just over 1,900 backers. So this is a hugely popular campaign right now. Um, yeah, so I, I guess you, you mentioned a little bit and you kind of said, yeah, this is some of the standard stuff, but maybe you could walk me and the listeners through a little bit of just what were you looking for before you launched? You obviously mentioned emails, building a Facebook audience, but was there any sort of numbers you were trying to get to? You know, you wanted right. to have 3,000 email signups or whatever it might've been. What were some of the metrics that you were looking at before you launched the campaign? Right. Um, so first thing that we thought we understood was that um, our product is not used by one person alone. It's a product that you use with friends. So um, of course it depends, but we knew that we need to uh, talk to people who have a lot of friends, uh, you know, same age, same uh, group, and they would, you know, then buy it together. So um, we try to build uh, fans on Facebook, not only by themselves, but also within a certain group. We try to um, go into different Facebook groups, different, uh, well, it depends. Sometimes Instagram, you know, the different channels, and we try to um, reach people who would then, you know, share interests that are mostly done with other friends, you know, like, I don't know, um, sports that you don't do alone. There's a lot of group sports. And we understood that if we can target those, they would then tell their friends, well, this is a cool thing. Let's buy that together. Sure. Uh, and that was 
very important learning for us because we didn't try to compete against other water guns. We knew there water guns are out there, and you know you can go and buy for you know one one dollar, two dollar water gun, right. and people will still do that, and they will not they would not switch to our water gun. That's a completely different feel. Mm-hmm. So we needed to um, somehow get the idea across that there's a new toy, a new cool toy and you want to build it uh, you want to buy it in a group and you want to play with it together and um, the best thing you can do is basically uh, build a crowd around sports that are done together and somehow try to draw them to your side and say look this is something new it's fresh it's cool uh you would like it and your friends would too yeah so it sounds like you really spent some time on this uh, basically a buyer persona right like you really kind of stood back and said who's who's really going to buy this thing it's not everybody right you know but it's you know there's an audience that's going to buy it and what are they doing you know, already in their day-to-day life, and this would just fit into it. So it sounds like that was a pretty smart move early on is to, to kind of spend some time on that thought pattern. And also, I think you underestimate how drastic that can be. I mean, we knew that um, our audience was mostly male, but we didn't know the extent to which that statement was true. Right, in the right. end, it turned out that 99.95% of the people that visited our website were male. So it's like almost everyone. We knew yeah. it was, you know, the majority, but not that much. So um, I think it's really important to get hard data be- behind your assumptions. And even if you, you're right about something, you might not be right enough. You know, you might sure. not sure. go in that direction enough. But it's now, true. Now, when, when you start off, or did, when you start off, it, it sounds like you were doing some Facebook ads, right? It sounds like, it, I think you mentioned. Right. So were like, you targeting 100% male at first, or did you try a little bit of male and female just to see what the reaction was? Did you do any A-B testing at all? Yeah, of course we use that. Um, in the beginning, we tried to target everyone because it's very important to, to question your assumptions, I think. Um, and you don't have to spend a lot of money. I think it's it's not worthwhile to spend thousands of dollars on you know Facebook ads, especially in the beginning. Nobody really cares. Nobody cares about a product that you know will sometime be on Kickstarter and then be shipped you know sometime later than that. It's like it doesn't really matter, but it's important for you. It will tell you something. You know, it will tell you exactly. Who likes your ads? And then you try with different ads. You try to, you know, incorporate different things, your different statements, you know. And that was huge for us. So inside of your team, you know, how are you putting together the team to be able to do all the stuff you're talking about? I mean, do you, you know, obviously you had the designer and prototype and the man, you know, person to make it. But, you know, this is a whole other animal we're talking about now, too. Were you actively looking for people or is this something that you learned or... You know, it's just so much, right? So, like, how, how did you start Googling? How did, how did you guys get this knowledge before you launched? Um, do you mean how, how we got new people on board? or No, no. I mean, just as a team, like, putting your team together. So, who you know, was it you running the Facebook ads? Was it a team member? How, how did you figure out some of the stuff before oh, right. you went to execute it? Well, I mean, I think in the beginning, everyone does a little bit of everything, right? So, uh, you don't have a dedicated person to, I don't know, do fluid dynamics. And, and at some <laughs> sure. point you realize, okay, I cannot do this anymore because I'm not smart enough. I don't understand that. Um, But over time, we realized that uh, communication and Facebook was a huge thing of of our campaign. It was hugely important to get in touch with our community and, you know, keep going, um, keep posting new stuff. So we had one person dedicated only to um, preparing Facebook, preparing our community, preparing our Kickstarter in a sense, you know, because that later translated into uh, people buying on Kickstarter. So, um, but it really depends on the product. For us, it was huge. It was very important. It may be if you, I don't know, have a software product that is, you know, I don't know, IT related, whatever, it may not be important to build a crowd, obviously. Right. Uh, but then again, Kickstarter may not be the best platform to 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 publish. Um, 
yeah, and, and so one person was communications only, um, building a crowd, and two people were uh, building. You know, like yeah. one engineer, one designer. It's a match made in heaven, really. You know, it's like how you do it. And one is going for the looks, the other for the mechanics, um, and that was the core team. That's cool. That's awesome. So, what are you doing then? I mean, with obviously a lot of time left, what are you doing to sort of keep the momentum going so that it doesn't kind of get stale? I mean, right now you're you know you're still early in the campaign. It looks like here. So, what are you doing just to keep that momentum going? Obviously, you're on this podcast, which is huge for you. <laughs> but other than that, uh, what what are some of the things you're talking about right now to keep it going? Well. As you said earlier, um, the money on Kickstarter is nice, but there's other things that are equally, if not more important. And one of them is the crowd that you can now ask stuff. You know, it's like people like your product. They are uh, early innovators that that love what you do, and you can now start asking them stuff. You know, like. Um, what about stretch goals, you know? And it's not like we have to decide this now. We can ask them, you know, what, what is something that you would like? Obviously, you cannot do anything, you know, if it costs a lot more to produce, you know, maybe we cannot do it, but you cannot, you know, tap into that crowd and ask them, you know, what would you like to see? And that's something that we plan to do, you know? And then if there's cool stretch goals, um, people will like it more and maybe, you know, ask their friends, you know, and say like, look, I want to reach a stretch goal because I get this for free, you know, whatever. Right, right. And um, I think, Again, this is for us important, may not be working on every product, but for us, it's hugely important to stay in contact with the crowd um, and, and use that data, use uh, the people that you know, are your, uh, your fans right now um, and somehow work with them. And that is going to be our next goal for, for Kickstarter campaign. You That's great. That's great. Figure out cool stretch goals and, and post them. That's great. What, uh, has there been anything that's kind of... I guess struck you as really odd in the campaign so far. I mean, I, I, you just mentioned a bunch of mostly men went to the website, but anything that you're seeing, like I don't know, a country that's popped up that like, oh wow, we're at a bunch of orders from Japan or something. I don't know, just something that's been I- intriguing to you at all. Oh well, it's it's certainly interesting, and it's interesting to see that in in the beginning, most backers were from Germany because you know we had been working in Germany most of the time. We had been trying to uh, you know find fans and collect email addresses, so it was only natural that it would start here. But then uh, very quickly, the U.S. took over. Mm. And um, I'm not sure why. Maybe because the Kickstarter culture is stronger in the U.S. Maybe, you know, water guns have always been, you know, water gun industry actually is a lot bigger in the U.S. Maybe Americans love their guns. I don't know. know? (laughs) It's a part (laughs) of it. (laughs) But um, it was interesting to see. And also... Uh, what we saw is that sometimes we had backers that, um, that in, in countries that we didn't ship to. So um, they only, you know, I don't know, pledged a dollar or two or ten dollars, something like that. And we had quite a lot of them because we didn't ship into all countries. And that showed us that there was general interest, you know. If, mm-hmm. For instance, we don't ship to Japan, but we have, I don't know, a dozen backers in Japan that, mm. you know, I just like to follow the campaign. And um, I think... I'm not sure if we can do that because we're not familiar with how to ship into all countries, but right. it certainly tells you that you should you know, look for these things. You know, if, if you have backers in countries that you don't even ship to, uh, why do they follow you? Well, because right. they like what you do. Yeah, yeah. Are, are there, is, speaking of shipping, is there any sort of major headaches? Are you shipping from Germany, you think, on all this stuff? Or like, how did you kind of attack uh, shipping in general for the campaign? Well, that, that thing is huge. I mean, um, there's, you could hire someone just to figure out that, uh, that subject in itself. Um, well, it's really problematic. We are probably shipping from China. You know, mm-hmm. we, we're going to um, assemble parts here, then going to work in China, and then you know, our team will be split because the way it's, everything is um, stored and assembled, and then we will ship from China 
uh, to the world. But then, you know, it's it's huge because um, you have taxes, you have regulations, how to, you know, what kind, I mean, you probably know that already. Yeah. Uh, that's a huge thing. And I think every, every Kickstarter uh, startup or any startup shipping into the world will underestimate how much work that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's every single client we've ever had. They're always like, oh, it won't be that bad. I'm like, no, trust me, go <laughs> and figure this out because it's huge, especially, I mean, and, and I think this seems like it's a bigger product too. So like, did you figure out packaging and all that sort of stuff in, in terms of shipping? Like, you know, and, and, and like put all that cost into the, into the equation <laughs> as well. Yeah. Don't, don't get me started. So um, <laughs> you have different pallet sizes, right? In the U S yeah. in Asia, in Europe. And then you have um, for, for container ships, you have also different container, uh, container size. And depending on it, it, you know, don't get me started. So you need to figure out the size for your box that fits best on all these pellets but you cannot i mean it won't fit perfectly on all of them so <laughs> to make an estimation into which country you are shipping the most packages and then you you will lose some space because your picture is not perfect for that pallet for that container ship and then you need to make a calculation and um that is huge i mean that, that takes some time and you know it's a huge excel spreadsheet that as long as my leg and yeah you need to do that obviously yeah yeah, it's I, it's funny you mentioned that we've we've had other clients that experience the exact same thing. They're like, I didn't realize any of that. I was like, yeah, it's it's challenging to launch a product. It's it's not for everybody. Um, so all right, so you've got you know you're 27 days to go that while we're talking right now, and then you got the whatever 10 to 14 days before all the money drops into the account and all that sort of stuff. Right. But what starts your next process? What how do you start putting water guns in everybody's hands? Um, that, that all your backers. What what starts happening? Well, I mean, first of all, I think. After, after Kickstarter starts, um, there's a huge huge amount of gravity all of a sudden because you have these fans and they ask you questions and they want to know what, what's happening. And I think at the heart of any good Kickstarter campaign is um, transparency. So what we will do, um, I mean, we will make mistakes, obviously, and you know we will have delays, probably, I don't know. But what is most important is that, that we keep updates all the time, You know that we say, okay, every so many weeks we are going to post updates. And what we're planning right now is... Um, we have everything laid out. We have the designs. And it is true that you go to Kickstarter when you need money for tooling. And that's what we will do now. I mean, first thing is that we, um, the, the larger parts, uh, the tools will be prepared. Obviously, they are quite expensive for injection molding. And um, we will then start, you know, to think about, okay, we get these tools from here. We need quality checks. We need to uh, get all the uh, regulations right. You know, we have a small battery inside. Um, you need to uh, start all these processes. And they take a long time, you know, to get uh, permission to sell it into, let's say, the U.S. You need to get these things going, and we will try to start these things as early as possible, you know, especially the ones that take a long, long time. Sure. Big, big, big steps here to get these things uh, delivered. It's a lot. So where can people learn more information outside of the Kickstarter? How can people kind of dive in your guys' world? Where can they follow you? How, how do people dive in? Well, I mean, the usual social channels, I would say. I mean, <laughs> Facebook is probably best because we post everything in our Facebook and goes from there. Um, and I would say that if you're not already backing us, you might want to back us with one, $1 whatever, you know, to keep uh, keep the news because I think we have something in store in the future. Um, the product is going to develop quite well, I believe, I hope. And I think it's going to be a bumpy ride, but it's worthwhile. That's awesome. We call those people uh, gawker backers. That's the term we came up with. So those people who just want to gawk, they, I'll, put, I'll give you a dollar. I don't mind. Yeah, I, hey, we, we, I back I back tons of campaigns. I just because I love seeing what's going on the communication. You know, there's some things I just I can't buy everything I want. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, uh, 
but yeah, totally. well, this is great. Well, Sebastian, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to chat with us and my listeners. Uh, this is really great. And you've got an awesome campaign and I wish you continued success in the future and uh, really great stuff, man. I, uh, good luck on everything. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. amazing conversation. Sebastian, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, talk to me and my listeners. This was a great, great conversation. And for you guys out there listening, if you've gotten to this point, you need to go become a backer right now. Go get a, a updated version of a sweet water gun and uh, you know have a good time, right? So go get that done. Um, the song we're listening to right now is a song called uh, Tie Me Down. I don't know why we're listening to this one. I just picked this one out of the thin air. It's off the Sugar Roses collection. You guys have never heard that collection. Most of you have never heard of it. Uh, but like I said, it's called Tie Me Down. And uh, all right, guys. Well, I will talk to you all on Thursday with another episode where we'll be talking about backpacks. So I'll talk to you all then. Have a good one.
I'll be alright. I'll be all. I'll be alright.